Hi, I'm Chelsea, and I have rheumatoid arthritis. After being diagnosed in 2020, I made it my mission to learn everything I can about different chronic conditions. I didn't want to just read about them, though. I wanted to hear firsthand experiences. So I started this show to educate myself and to raise awareness. Welcome to My Immune System Hates Me. I'm back. I took a few weeks off of podcasting because honestly, I just haven't had the time or energy to dedicate to it. I work full time and podcast on my days off. But when you don't have a day off, apparently the podcasting doesn't get done. I'm now rested and feeling ready to hop back on the mic. And boy, do I have a great guest to get back into the swing of things with. Terry has been battling a rare form of cancer for the last decade. And when I say battling, I am not exaggerating. Both the cancer and his treatments have wreaked havoc on his body. But Terry isn't letting that stop him from leading an extraordinary life. Hey, Terry, welcome to the podcast. How are you? I'm great, Chelsea. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to talking with you. Me too. I'm so excited. Before we dive into your whole medical history, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? Sure. So uh, I am the oldest of uh, three boys, grew up on the south side of Chicago. You can't tell this from looking at me, but I'm six foot eight inches tall. And I played basketball in college, despite having three knee surgeries in high school. When I graduated from college, I moved home to find a job. And I'm, I'm really going to date myself now, but this was long before the internet was available to help <laughs> with job searches. Uh, and I was all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And you know, I look back now and realize I didn't know anything about business just because I had a degree. Fortunately, I found that first job in the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International, the hamburger chain just outside of Columbus, Ohio. Unfortunately, I ended up living with my parents for the next three and a half years as they helped my mom care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. Uh, professionally, as I mentioned, I was with Wendy's. I became a hospital administrator after that. Um, then I made a major pivot in my life and became a police officer. And I worked undercover narcotics. I was a SWAT team hostage negotiator, started my own school security consulting business, coach girls high school basketball. Uh, 2019, right before the pandemic, started a, a motivational speaking business. Probably not the best decision I ever made. And then 2020, published my, my first book, but have been battling this rare form of cancer for the last 10 years. And then finally, my wife and I have been married for 28 years. We have one child, a daughter, who's a graduate of the United States Air Force Academy and is an officer in the new branch of the military, the Space Force. Oh, my gosh. You sound like you have lived seven different lives. <laughs> like a cat, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. But when, when you change careers, you don't just like change companies. You like go full on to a new direction. That's awesome, though. Absolutely. You must have so many cool skills from all the different jobs you've worked and, and different ways that your life has taken you. That's wild. Yeah. So you said that you've been battling a rare form of cancer for the last, you said, 10 years. What is that? What kind of cancer is that? It's called acrolytigenous malignant melanoma. Uh, it's, a, it's a form of melanoma, a very rare form of melanoma that appears on the bottom of the feet or the palms of the hands. There's an even rarer form of melanoma called mucosal, 
which as the as it sounds like, it appears in your mucous membrane, so in your nose or your mouth, but it's still melanoma. So I have a, kind of a weird kind. And uh, as a result, I was initially treated at MD Anderson Cancer Center in Houston. Melanoma, correct me if I'm wrong, but melanoma is like this uh, a cancer that's on the skin. Is that right? Yeah, the melan is a is the pigment in our skin, um, okay. which is why it's called melanoma. And yeah, it's usually you know overexposure to sun or, or mm-hmm. things like that. But you know, I, mine started on the bottom of my foot, and I don't ever remember you know tanning when I was a kid <laughs> with my feet up in the air or anything like that. So yeah, just one of those things. When did you first notice it? And did you right away think like, this is cancer? Or are you more rational? And you were like, oh, just like a, you know, fungus or something. Yeah, I, I actually had, I was coaching uh, basketball and I had a callus break open on the bottom of my foot, right below my third toe. And initially I didn't give it much thought because as a coach, you're on your feet a lot. But after it didn't heal for a couple of weeks, I went to see a podiatrist, a foot doctor, a friend of mine, and he took an x-ray and he said, Terry, I think you have a little cyst in there and I can cut it out. And he did. And he showed it to me. It was just a little gelatin sack with some white fat in it. No dark spots, no blood, nothing that gave either one of us concern, but he sent it off to pathology and that started the ball rolling. Wow. So it didn't look to him like any type of cancer. But he still sent it off. I mean, good thing he did and wasn't just like throw it in the trash and continue. Is that how it often shows up as kind of like a callus or a, or a blister? Like what is that what it looks like? It, it, it can. I, I mean, anything on the bottom of the foot and, and you don't have. I remember a, an intern or a resident told me one time and said, you know, I, I learned in medical school that basically if there's something on the bottom of the foot and you don't have a good explanation for it, think melanoma. So, really? I, you know, I. I I'm 61 years old. I don't know anybody who's ever had this form of melanoma. I mean, growing up, even the people that I get treated with now, and I, I go to a melanoma specialist, I, I don't, I mean, I know I've got somebody, a friend who has uh, ocular melanoma, it's in her eye, uh, but in terms of uh, mucosal or uh, on the feet or the hands, I, I don't know anybody who's being treated for it. Wow. Okay. So when the results came back that it was cancerous, what happened next? Yeah. So I, I mean, literally I get the call from my friend and as I said, he was being a friend, the more difficulty he was having telling me what was going on, Mm. the more frightened I was becoming until he said, you know, Terry, I'm just gonna lay it out for you. I've been a doctor for 25 years and I have never seen this form of cancer. And, you know, then he went on to explain what it was. And he said, because it's so rare, I think you should go to MD Anderson and be treated for it. And I did. And I had the, the bottom part of my foot cut out. I had all the lymph nodes in my groin removed. And then when I healed, my oncologist put me on a drug called interferon to help keep the disease from coming back. And it, basically the side effects of interferon was it gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection. And I took those weekly injections for almost five years. So imagine having the flu every week for five oh, years. No, and that wasn't a cure. That was just to keep the disease from coming back. Uh, 2017, I ended up in the intensive care unit with the fever of 108 degrees, which usually is not compatible with being alive. But that was from the toxicity of the interferon. So I had to stop that. And almost immediately when I stopped the interferon, 
the disease came back in the exact same place that it initially presented, which led in 2018 to the amputation of my left foot. 2019, the cancer creeped its way up my leg into my shin, requiring two more surgeries. And then 2020, right in the middle of the wonderful global pandemic, mm-hmm. uh, I, I had an undiagnosed tumor kind of in my ankle area that uh, grew large enough that it fractured my tibia, my shin bone. Uh, And then that led to basically having my leg amputated above the knee. And I found out I had tumors in my lungs. So it sounds like a really dark and ugly time. And it was, but in all honesty, cancers made me a better person. Wow. I mean, we're going to have to get to that because I don't see how (laughs) that sounds Terrible, Terry. I'm so sorry. Going back to before when you said, um, you know, the fir- when you first were kind of going to get it treated before you went on the medication, you said they like cut off the bottom of your foot. Is that just like they took off a layer of it or could they see that there was like more below the surface? Did they like chop? Like, tell me what, what did they do for that? So basically they, they took a, a large circular type of, of area. They just cut it out. They really wow. cut it down to the tendons and they left it open and they put what's called a wound vac on it. And, and it's a, it's kind of like a sponge with a, with a layer of plastic over it to make it airtight. And then they insert a hole and put a tube in and that goes to a machine that, that kind of sucks out all the, the fluid that would cause a wound to swell and that kind of thing. And it, it's actually supposedly very good for the wound itself. And then after six weeks, I had another surgery where they took a piece from my thigh and they grafted it onto the bottom of my foot. But what I didn't realize is the skin on the palms of our hands and on the bottom of our feet are much different than the skin on the rest of our body. They're tougher, they're more resilient. And so grafting a piece of my thigh down there was really didn't do my, I mean, it closed the wound but I had constant problems with it as, as skin would build up around it and I would have to constantly shave it off, but you didn't want to cut into the graft. And it it was, it was kind of a pain in the neck. So in in a lot of ways, it was a lot easier to have my foot amputated. What wasn't better. It was just easier. Easier. Yeah. Less, less taken care of. Um, So obviously this is not the type of cancer where you can just like cut it out and it'll never come back. So it's kind of, it spreads throughout the body. As my oncologist said, yeah, that basically when you get it, wherever it is, wherever it's going, it's already there. So, you know, I mean, it was eight years before I found the tumors in my lungs, but as my oncologist said, it's always been in your lungs. It's just been too small for us to see. Wow. Okay. And the medication was kind of holding it off. It was making you sick as a dog, but it was holding it off from like growing any bigger. Yeah, it was. I mean, the the five years of interferon therapy, although were horrible. I I mean, literally there were days I prayed to die. I was so sick of being sick that I was just like, please God, get me out of here. This is ridiculous. And, And even when my oncologist suggested it, I'm like, oh yeah, you know, I can do this for a little while. Well, can you do it for five years? I looked at her like, yeah, that's cruel. That's just <laughs> cruel to ask a human being to go through that. And she's like, I know it's cruel and it's going to suck, but you're going to have to embrace the suck because it might keep you alive. And and mm-hmm. technically it did. Right. Okay. So then you had your foot amputated, you had your leg amputated above the knee, and then it was in your lungs. What, right. what is the treatment for that? 
initially it was chemotherapy. And so my oncologist said, you know, I want to start you on chemo. And this was eight years into this cancer journey. And I, I looked at him like, is it going to save my life? And he's like, probably not. I said, well, I don't think I want to do that. If I'm going to die anyway, why would I put myself through all that ugliness and misery for the same outcome? I said, but I'll go home and I'll talk to my family. And this is kind of a funny story. I mean, it really did happen this way, but, but I'm going to embellish it just a little bit. Okay. And, and, and so I, I go home and, you know, I, I start telling my wife and daughter what's going on. And my daughter's immediately, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting, there's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that, you know? So we, we sit down at the kitchen table and we each individually talk about how we feel about me having chemotherapy. And when we're done with that, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to uh, have chemotherapy? Raise your hand. And my wife and daughter raised their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted on something that I didn't want to do? But I remember back when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor used to have us bring a photograph of the people that we love the most to class. And as we were learning ways to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love mm. than you will fight for yourself. So I ended up taking chemotherapy because I frankly love my family more than I love myself. And in a way that was good because the chemotherapy shrunk the tumors a little bit. And then it allowed, it allowed me to be, which I'm being treated now on a clinical trial drug that is, is somewhat helping me. It's, it's shrunk the tumors. They're still there. They haven't gone away. But the way I look at it is, you know, maybe the doctors will learn something from, you know, all my blood tests and all my scans that five years from now or 10 years from now will help somebody live a longer life or cure their cancer. Somebody I'll never know, somebody I'll never mm -hmm. meet, because this more than likely is terminal for me. But you know what, if I'm going to go down, I might as well go down helping somebody else. Yeah. Wow. That's like, Obviously, that's a very selfless decision because I'm sure the chemo was not kind, right? The, the chemo was not. You know, I, I, I was supposed to have all the things that happened and, and like my hair was supposed to fall out, but it never did. Oh. You know, and I kept going to my oncologist like, when's my hair going to fall out? <laughs> and finally, he was like, it might not. He said, it doesn't, you know, it, you, we think of chemo as everybody loses their hair. He said, that's not the case. I mean, there are a lot of chemos where people don't lose their hair. So mm. you may just be one of the lucky ones. And I mean, you know, my brother always tells me I have a face for radio. So, you know, <laughs> I, I don't know if that was a good thing or not that I kept my hair. So yeah, I, I mean, it, it, the chemo was bad. The drug I'm on now is much worse. It's a clinical right. trial drug that I get. I go to the hospital Monday through Friday. I get this drug about two hours after the drug. I shake violently. I throw up. I have a headache. I have, you know, it, it, it's just nasty. And, mm -hmm. and I had a nurse one time tell me, it's like, Terry, you know, nobody will think less of you if you stop this, you know, yeah. that it, th this just beats you up. And I'm like, mm, no, not wired that way. My doctor may take me off of it because it's not working or it may kill me, but I'm not wired to quit this because as I said, you know, it's not just about me. It's about other people too. Yeah. So are you still going Monday to Friday every day? Yeah. Every third week. So I, I go for a week. Uh, I had treatment last week. So I'm on the first week of my two weeks cycle off. You know, I rest and I, you know, it does all the things uh, chemo does. I mean, it lowers your blood counts and, and it messes with your thyroid and does all kinds of stuff like that. So it's a, it's a constant balancing act of, yes, it's helping your cancer, but it's 
messing up the rest of your body. So, you know, we have to, we have to balance that against the effects of the chemo or the clinical trial drug. And how long is the trial? Uh, That's a good question. It was a year. I'm in my 19th. So when I go back the next time, I'll be in my 20th cycle of it. Uh, There were three of us that started on the trial. The other two people, unfortunately, passed away from their disease right before Christmas. So that's another reason for me to keep going. You know, I'm uh, their legacy is with me. And, you know, hopefully I can help keep their legacy alive by going through this and continue to go through it. So, yeah, so it's every it's a three week cycle. Wow. You're incredible. That's really amazing because that, yeah, you're putting your body through a lot. And yeah, it's honestly, it is. It's, it's for whoever's coming next, you know? Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, it's, I mean, if I learned anything from team sports, it's the importance of being part of something that's bigger than yourself, you know, and you learned on a basketball team that if you didn't do your job, not only we're letting yourself down, you know, you're letting your teammates down, your coaches down, your fans down, et cetera. And if you think about it, the biggest team game we all play is this game of life. That's good. That was, that's a good one. I like that. You can use it. I'm going to, I'm going to save that. You'll get a little quote later. (laughs) Okay. So you said that even though all of this has been quite the difficult experience for you, you said it's made you better. How? It's, it's, it's helped me to be more resilient. And and I'll tell you a couple of things. We're all going to experience pain in our lives And, and it doesn't have to be cancer pain. It doesn't even have to be an illness. You could flunk a test at school or break up with your boyfriend or your girlfriend or not get the promotion at work that you think you deserve. Pain is inevitable. Suffering, on the other hand, suffering's optional. Suffering's what you do with that pain. Do you use it to make you a stronger and more determined individual? Or do you wallow in it and feel sorry for yourself and want other people to feel sorry for you? I mean, life is about choices. We're all unique, but I hate to tell people this. We're not special. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, we're, we're unique, not special. And, and so, you know, from that aspect, it's what you do with the pain. And one of the things that I've come up with over these last 10 years is what I call my four truths. And these are just one sentence each that I, I have them on a post-it note sitting here on my desk. So I see them multiple times throughout the day. And, and, I'll, and I'll give them to you. The first one is you need to control your mind or your mind is going to control you. The second one is you need to embrace the pain and the difficulty that we all experience in life and use that to make you a stronger and more determined individual. So instead of running from pain, instead of trying to get away from pain, what I'm suggesting with that is just the opposite. Don't run from it, use it. Flip it inside, burn it as fuel, use it as energy to make you a stronger individual. Trust me, I am the biggest wimp in the world. If I can do this, anybody can do this. So that's number two. Number three is more of a, I guess, a legacy truth for lack of a better one. And it's this. What you leave behind is what you weave in the hearts of other people. And, you know, I've had people, when I found out I was having my leg amputated, I went with my wife to the mortuary, to the cemetery, to the church, and I planned my funeral. And I go on these podcasts and I talk about continuing to move forward, motivation and stuff. And I got some brushback for planning my funeral. People are like, well, don't you think that's kind of defeatist? And I'm like, well, last time I checked, we're all going to die. I don't think anybody's working on a cure for life right now. You know, so I, what I what I said to them is everybody dies, but not everybody really lives. And there was a Native American Blackfoot proverb I heard years ago that went like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. 
That's what I want. That's what I'm looking forward to. So that's number three. And then number four is pretty self-explanatory. As long as you don't quit, you can never be defeated. And the way I look at that is sometimes, some way, somehow my pain is going to end. Man through surgery, man through medication, quite frankly, it may end when I die. But if I quit, if I give up, if I give in to pain, then pain is always going to be a part of my life. Mm. Those are very good truths to live by. Wow. No wonder, no wonder you just keep going every day. <laughs> Don't have a choice. <laughs> yeah. I want to rewind just a little bit to sure. your amputations for you. Was that like a, did you hesitate at all? Or you were like, no, I don't want to, or you, I don't know. I watch, I watch lots of medical shows. I watch Grey's Anatomy and whenever they're faced with an amputation, they're always like, no, you can't take my leg. Did you have any of those feelings or were you like, please get rid of it if it's going to, you know, take me down? Well, I mean, you know, the foot was, what the, the foot was initially supposed to be a below the knee amputation. And fortunately, there was a, a foot expert, a foot surgeon who was able to kind of basically take everything in front of my ankle and, and, and mm. leave me the, the heel and the ankle. And so, you know, I, I was like, OK, that that's a whole lot better than losing your, you know, your lower leg. But the, the, the leg amputation, I mean, the tumor had grown large enough that it, it broke my leg. I mean, I, I was walking around for a week on a broken leg and, and didn't really realize why. And so from that perspective, it was, I knew I had to do it. I didn't have a choice. But literally, I found out on a Thursday that my lower leg was full of cancer and I had a, a broken leg and I had it amputated on a Tuesday. So I didn't have a lot of time to think about it. And it was during the pandemic. So it was literally the only surgery that day. It was my wife literally dropped me off at the hospital. And she was like, what, what should I do? I said, just go, go, go sit in the parking lot and pray. I mean, that's really all you yeah. can do. So, I mean, talk about feeling alone. And it was like, okay. And then my doctor was like, we should keep you in the hospital for a week. But because of COVID, we're going to keep you in for 48 hours. Oh. So, I mean, there were a lot of oh my God, are you serious? You know, I mean, are we really doing this? I mean, I'm not Superman. I, you know, do you, yeah. and, and that's kind of the, I mean, it, it drove my therapist crazy. My physical therapist, my occupational therapist, like, what do you mean we only have 48 hours? I'm like, you got 48 hours to teach me everything you need to teach me. And then I'm going home. So it was not something my, I, had a, I had a nurse recently asked me what it was like to have my foot amputated, my leg amputated. And this is what I told her. I said, you know, it hasn't been easy. It still hasn't been easy. That was 2020. I'm still learning how to walk with a prosthetic. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when you're six foot eight, falling isn't an option. You know, you get hurt <laughs> when you fall when you're six foot eight. Yeah. But what I told her was cancer can take all my physical faculties, but cancer can't touch my mind. It can't touch my heart and it can't touch my soul. And that's who we are. That's who I am. That's who you are. This is just a house or a vessel to hold who we are. So if yeah. you think about it in that regard, you can cut anything off you want, but right. you're not really cutting anything out of who Terry Tucker is. Yeah. I love that. Um, was it difficult to relearn how to walk and how to move around when you had, you know, half of your leg cut off? It, it was, it has been. I, I mean, I had a goal. My, my daughter, uh, our daughter got married in October and I had a goal of, I'm going to use my prosthetic to walk down the aisle. I'm not going to be able to do much more than that, but that's what I want to do. And so, I mean, literally, you know, I had worked with a physical therapist in between my treatments and stuff like that. And it, it got to the point 
where I was pretty sure I could do it. You know, it's like, do you want a crutch? Do you want a cane? Like, no, I just want to, you know, and so it was, it was kind of funny because she was so emotional and so nervous and we kind of were holding hands and we started down the aisle and she started to pull. And I'm like, you can't do that. You can't pull me. You'll pull me down. I, I mean, we need to take this slow. This is your day. People are looking at you. Take your time. There's no rush to get down to the end of the aisle. And literally at one point, her, her fiance, my, my son-in-law now, his wrestling coach was, was in the pew at the church right here. And I looked at him, I'm like, if I fall, will you catch me? You know, because I was like, she's going to pull me down. There's no, you know, it's like, relax, take it easy. We'll get there. And I, and we got there, we got there and I made it and it was, it was amazing. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's cool. Do you spend a lot of time? Do you use like a wheelchair the rest of the time or is it strictly prosthetic? No, I'm in, I'm in a wheelchair now. I mean, I have a, I have a unbelievable prosthetic leg. I, I mean, and I'll, I'll share this with you because I, I was blown away when I, when I asked the, the prosthetist who, who got me the leg, I'm like, you know, how much did this cost? And he said, $49,000. I'm like, ah, yeah, right. Okay. How much did this really cost? He said, $49,000. I mean, my leg literally has a microprocessor in the knee. You plug it in at night to recharge. It has a gyroscope in the calf and it knows whether you're over the leg or you're behind the leg. So it adjusts like that. It's not just a hinge wow. that, that goes. So it, it but, but it's like anything else. It's, it's a matter of trust. You have to learn to trust it. And I'm having a hard time doing that. I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm decent on it. I can use it, but I'm not, oh, let's just go for a walk around the block. I, I, I'm nowhere near ready to do that. Yeah. Wow. That's, I didn't even know that te- kind of technology was possible. I didn't either. Holy cow. But yeah, it costs, costs as much as like a car for insurance, right? (laughs) Oh yeah. Yes. Um, what kind of advice, I mean, you've, you've given us your four truths and stuff. Do you have any other advice for listeners out there? I'll, I'll, I'll tell you a quick story. Mm -hmm. Well, maybe it'll be quick. Sometimes (laughs) it's hard to shout me out. So I've always been a big fan of Westerns growing up. You know, my mom and dad used to let me stay up and watch Gunsmoke and Wild Wild West and Bonanza and all this kind of stuff. I mean, I know it's way before your time, but 1993, the movie Tombstone came out and you may have seen a huge movie. It starred Val Kilmer as a guy by the name of John Doc Holliday and Kurt Russell as a man by the name of Wyatt Earp. Now, Wyatt Earp and, and Doc Holliday were two living, breathing human beings who walked on the face of the earth. They're not made up characters for the movie. And Doc was called Doc because he was a dentist by trade, but pretty much Doc Holliday was a gunslinger and a card shark. And Wyatt Earp had been a lawman his entire life. And these two men from obviously entirely opposite backgrounds formed this very close friendship. And at the end of the movie, Doc is dying of tuberculosis at a hospital in Glenwood Springs, Colorado, which is about three hours from my house. The real Doc Holliday died in that hospital and he's buried in the Glenwood Springs Cemetery. And Wyatt at this point in his life is destitute. He has no money, he has no job, he has no prospects for a job. So every day he comes to play cards with Doc and the two men pass the time that way. And in this scene, they're talking about what they want out of life. And Doc says, you know, when I was younger, I was in love with my cousin, but she joined a convent over the affair, but she's all I ever wanted. And then he looks at Wyatt and he says, what about you, Wyatt? What do you want? And Wyatt says, I just want to lead a normal life. And Doc looks at him and says, there's no normal, there's just life. 
and get on with living yours. Chelsea, you and I probably know people and they're probably listening to us, people listening to us that are sitting out there, they're kind of holding back. It's like, well, when this happens, I'll have a normal life. Or when that happens, I'll have a successful life. Or when this happens, I'll have a significant life. What I would say to those people is don't wait. Don't wait for life to come to you. Get out there, find the reason you were put on the face of this earth and live that reason. Because if you do, at the end of your life, I'm going to promise you two things. One, you're going to be a whole lot happier. And two, you're going to have a whole lot more peace in your heart. Mm. It's true, though. I, I We do. We sit around and we're like, well, in a couple months, I'll be able to do this. And then I'll be able to do that. And then I'll be on the road to success or to whatever it is that you're going for. But like, no, what are you doing right now? Yeah. Get started. I love that. Um, so how can people find you? You said you wrote a book, right? Where do they find the book? Tell us more. So the book is called Sustainable Excellence, The 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Uh, I literally wrote the book during the three-month period that I was healing from my amputation of my leg and the time I started chemotherapy uh, for the tumors in my lungs. Uh, you can get it at, at Amazon, barnesandnoble.com, Apple iBooks, anywhere you can get a book online, you can get Sustainable Excellence. And in terms of people getting a hold of me, I have a blog called Motivational Check. I put up a new thought or a saying every day. And with that saying, usually comes a question to see maybe how you could use that saying in your life. On Mondays, I put up the Monday morning motivational message, which a lot of times is a video or a story that I heard or found or something like that. Um, and, and you can also leave me a message. You can get access to the book through that. You can get to my social media accounts. So motivationalcheck.com will get you to me. Amazing. You are so inspirational. And I know the listeners are going to go crazy for you. Thank you so much for chatting with me and sharing your story and all your advice and quotes. And I have so many quotes. I'm going to like put in my journal. <laughs> well, thanks, Chelsea, for having me on it. You know, I always say it's it's good people like you that allow me to come on and, and tell my story. And hopefully between our conversation, we're going to make a difference in somebody's life. And if we do that, today's been a good day. I think you did. I think I think there'll be more than one person that you've affected today. So thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. All right. Bye, Terry. Bye-bye. All of Terry's social media links are in the show notes. And make sure you check out his book, Sustainable Excellence, 10 Principles to Leading Your Uncommon and Extraordinary Life. Don't forget to rate and review the show in your podcast app and follow me on Instagram and Facebook at My Immune System Pod. If you've got a chronic condition and would like to be a guest on the show, you can fill out the form at myimmunesystempod.com. While you're there, check out the shop. And a quick disclaimer before I go, any information discussed in this podcast is strictly my opinion and those of my guests and are for informational purposes only. We are speaking from our personal experiences and you should always consult with your doctor or medical team. Bye.